Now, when you go on the computer, you would say you want to make a playlist, right? So you go on YouTube and you watch a music video and then you make a playlist and all that stuff, right? So say you like hip hop or R&B, you make out like a collection, stuff like that, though. But on Spotify, you can create your own playlist also. Just select the songs from to some there's some show or it's like best of the nineties or the best of soul R and B or best of hip hop and select a song that you like and then you just put it on your list though. Have your own playlist. I mean you wanted to you want to have your own see your hear your own songs or see your own videos. You wanna be your your own music music video channel. I mean like MTV and VH1 used to play music videos, but right now they got this reality bullshit, excuse my language, I mean, I don't, don't want to say bleep, so, anyway, so, if you want, if you, if you want to hear a list of songs that you like, go to Spotify, and you make yourself a playlist, and be your own DJ, and be your own boss, like a radio station, so Spotify is the best way to go for listen to your favorite songs. This is Anchor FM, and you're listening to Twist. This is Twisted, an SVU podcast. Hello, this is Brian Bose, and welcome to my podcast called Twisted, where I recap episodes of SVU starting from the first episode. Now, um, you know, this Sunday night, you know, I just had dinner with my family, and yesterday was my mama's birthday, and uh, my brother treated her to a Spanish restaurant in the Upper West Side. It's located on... Um, near 96th street that's right near my job so we got into the restaurant and um they were placing their orders and um i was having a hard time trying to get what i want i mean i was looking at i was looking at the menu and they had like three maybe like a few of these um entries that i wanted to take at first i wanted to take the red snapper with the red sauce and um and then i wanted to take like um Maybe it's like a some skirt steak, something like that, something like that, beef brisket. And um, I also wanted to get like some um, mafungo with chicken. I mean, that was delicious though. And uh, I have tried mafungo maybe once or twice. It's like like bananas mixed and all that stuff though. You know, that's how the Dominican, Dominicans be calling it, mafungo. And I like my, Domin- my Dominican brothers and sisters. So, and then, however, uh, I mean, um, my family, my brothers, my family tell me that I'm holding up the damn menu thing, the order, holding up the order, whatever. So, I decided it's something simple. Simple. I got like a half chicken with rice and beans. And um, well, I had my plate though. I had, oh man, I had like a big ass dinner. I mean, I had to eat that. Almost had to eat like maybe almost half a chicken. Maybe I ate, actually I ate maybe a quarter of a chicken because I mean that, I, it was too much. I had um, made the half chicken, you know, but my brother told me it was dry. But uh, I wasn't. I didn't care. I just poured it over some garlic sauce. Though I'm trying to make it like tasty and all that stuff. Though 
And oh yeah, by the way, the waitress I had like a big plate full of rice. It's like piled up and all that stuff. I mean, like a like a, like a coming from a small pot. And I had like a small cup of beans. But I'm gonna tell you the rice, the yellow rice, man. It was a lots, a lots, a lots of rice, man. So um. Yeah, I've almost ate all of it. You know, maybe I ate half of it anyway. Besides, so I gotta watch my stomach. And I had like the guava juice. No, 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 no. Excuse me, papaya juice. I was get myself confused, like um, John Travolta from the show Welcome Back, Hotter. And um, anyway, so I um, I was there at the restaurant with my mom. She celebrated her birthday, so. She, I'm going to tell you how old she is. Well, she's 76. I was going to say 75, though. I mean, um, but I think she's 76. So, I mean, I mean, uh, my mom, she's still alive, you know, but... My father, he passed away at 74, so my mom surpassed him and all that stuff, so it's, it's a blessing that she's still living, though, you know? Sometimes, you know, you just got, um, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, just, she has some, she's a, she has some issues, but I'm not going to explain it, but well, sometimes you got to take care of your own body, and then you have to do exercise though that's all I'm gonna say now I'm gonna give you a brief recap of um I was watching um Lord of the SVU and organized crime this past Thursday I'm gonna give you a brief recap okay so on the SVU is that um they got this uh Kitty psycho killer I mean he's released from prison I mean I remember back in the season 14 episode I think it was born psychopath this uh, this guy first actor from shameless I think his name was um he played Liam Gallagher on on shameless though I mean I, f- I forgot the guy's name but it'll come back to me something like that though so um he was um back in season 14 episode called born psychopath he um was terrorizing his sister and he tried to stab his own mom, something like that, though. And next thing you know, he tried to, he shot Amaro. And next thing you know, he got locked up and all that stuff, though. And right now, he just got released from prison and he went on a killing spree. I mean, he killed his mom, stepmom, no, he killed his stepmom, dad, and, um, and a half brother. And he kidnapped his sister. But it turns out, Rollins came in to save the day. And then when, um, and Mr. Shameless Kid was coming to the court is that he stabbed Carisi in the ear with the damn pencil. I'm telling you, this asshole's crazy asshole has not changed a bit, man. And he's got like the mental issues, but personally, you know, I think it's a damn demon and stuff like that, though. But next thing you know is that um, Rollins came by, see him in prison, tells him, if you go near Carisi or my family again, I'll kill you. And she says pretending she was going to save him, but she lied. And then after she leaves him, he makes a smirk on the face. I'm telling you, this, this, this story, this uh, his um, life will never end. We will, we don't know. We might see more of it in the future. And um, I am um, and on OC. 
it turns out with the deal with Save Last to deal with the Wheatleys and all that stuff. And um, I won't believe this is this um this um girl Gina. She went undercover with the Wheatleys for, to infiltrate the Wheatley family. She falls in love with Wheatley's son, and then Wheatley's uh, daughter discovers that she's a cop working undercover, a rat. And then Wheatley got mad, and he tells his son, "You gotta do what you gotta do." I mean, his son was har- Wheatley's son was heartbroken, but he had no choice. He killed Gina. I mean, he- oh my goodness, Gina cover was blown after the, the um, Wheatley's um, daughter found out that she planted some device in there, though. Damn, busted. And as a result, though, Wheatley's son, he kills Gina in his stomach. That's like heartbreak right there and stuff like that. So, damn. And um, that was some crazy. And then next week, there's going to be a plot twist. What is a plot twist? <laughs> anyway, so um, we don't know what it is, but let's get to, let's get to the episode. Alright, this is um, Law and Order SVU Season 1, Episode 14, Limitations. And it aired on February 11th of 2000. And it's written by Michael Perry. And it's directed by Constantine Constantine Macris. Sorry, I'll get it right next time. I mean, this Mr. Macris is like... Um, he was uh, once a cinematographer for the original Law and Order. Then he started working behind the camera and all that stuff, though. So this is probably his second time directing an episode for season one. All right. So, um, so about limitations, because you know, we're going to talk about this a rape case, you know, that carries a five-year statute of limitations on it, though. And um, however, you know, the purpose or the suspect is not even caught. So. What happens is that when people, when a woman reports a rape, though, you know, and they can't find a suspect, it'll take like a five years to find a suspect, or it'll be expunged, or the person will get away with it, though. There ain't no justice and all that stuff. So, this is one of these cases about um, the statute of limitations and stuff like that, though. All right, um, we're at the um, opening scene. We're at CompStat, right, and. You have uh, Police Commissioner Morris, so he grilling the sergeant from the robbery unit because he wasn't doing his procedure. So then the commissioner shows him a slide and shows him that there were seven robberies. And turns out that um, the sergeant um, didn't put it in after the third robbery. So he he didn't. What happened was that the, they didn't start. Um, the pattern didn't start. The pattern did not start after the third robbery. So what happened was that um, he failed. Well, that the sergeant failed to report it in and all this stuff, and then he made a little mistake or whatever though. And the commissioner tells him that that robbery is not your suit. I suggest that you should be reassigned. That's all dismissed. Now the. Um, I don't know the actor who's playing the commission, police commissioner, but the actor that's playing the sergeant of the robbery unit is none other than actor Isaiah Whitlock Jr. 
And um, you remember him in one of the Spike Lee films. I mean, he was like the detective. He said the word shit. Yeah. And you see him on um show called The Wire or something like that, though. And he played a cop and all that stuff. So, and he'd been on um, SVU maybe a couple other times, you know. I mean, his first appearance was right here in the 14th episode called uh, Limitations. He played a... Uh, a sergeant of the robbery unit because they screwed up because um because they wasn't um they they was he wasn't following doing his procedure and all that stuff I mean and uh, he he will he and uh, Mr. Whitlock Jr. will appear in the second season where he played the husband of a cop who was raped at and that's that episode is called um paranoia but we're gonna get to that in a future episode and he also played um. Um, commissioner or something like that for in the season seventeen episode where, which uh called um is where um that was I don't remember where it was but it turns out that the kid brother was shot by the cops but we're gonna go get into that in the future episode so so um now um even though let's get back to the opening scene you know it's what happens that um. The, the Isaiah Woodlock Jr. though he's he gonna be reassigned because um he made a mistake in the robbery pattern and stuff like that though so commissioner calls in the special victims unit right and um here's Cragen's there along with the Texas Benson and Sabler and um, the commissioner tells him that um they made an arrest on Third Avenue. Third Avenue jerk off. They, they made a rest of this um, guy who was jerking up on the bus. <laughs> and um, they made the best to see if they told him that they made an arrest. And the commissioner was, was like, good. Just make sure they clean the seats. <laughs> in other words, in other words, I mean, they, you know, they called it. They, what happened is the detectives, they called a guy who was masturbating in a bus. So that's another, that's what the other words are. I mean, I mean, oh well, masturbating, jerking off. I mean, what makes the difference now anyway? So anyway, um, so um, Craig is called in by the commissioner, and then he shows them the slide, and he sees each, and the commissioner shows Craig a rape pattern, right? And um, that yeah, that turned out that the unknown perp had raped three women in a one week period in 1995 and the commissioner tells Kraken that this is a rape pattern in 1995 and Kraken tells him that he was in homicide back in 1995 and um, and Kraken also told him that the, all the cases were considered cold and then the commissioner was like did you follow up on any of these cases when you joined the um, special victims unit he was like no and commissioner was like well here's your chance right so at the request of one of the victim the commissioner, the commissioner wants Captain Craig to track down the rapist before the statute of limitations expires on all three cases let me tell you something though Craig wasn't there at the special victims unit back in 1995 because he was a captain in a, in a homicide unit back in 1995 I mean, he wasn't he didn't he wasn't aware about that though. I mean, the commissioner should have given it to a captain who was assigned to the unit back in nineteen ninety five. So here the commissioner 
yeah, gives Kragen the opportunity to track down this um the rape this rapist who raped three women within a one week period back in nineteen ninety five or the statute of limitations expires. And then he brings out one of the victims, Miss Victoria Kraft. She enters the room and she's all like an uppity, uptight bitch and all that stuff, stiff neck and all that stuff. I mean, it's an average white woman or I could say Becky or something like that. You know, I mean, the way she is acting is acting this episode is a stiff and she's like a, a bitch. And sometimes, you know, she's like a, a piece of work and uppity, uptight bitch from... I mean, what you would call Massive Avenue or the River Park Avenue, what you would call it though. So, um, she comes in to testify, gives out a speech, and saying that she told everyone that five years ago that a man broke into her window and um, he uh, had like a um, Scotty cap on, and then he, you know, he know, and then he jumped in the bed naked and he raped her, and then he sprayed mace on her face before he left. So, she wants um, Kathleen Cragen and the unit to catch this unknown perp within, within, a, few, within a few few days before the statute of limitations expires. And she also mentioned about the other two female victims who were raped by the same guy. So, what she's doing is she wants Cragen to come and find the, find the unknown perp and close this case. And then Cragen was like, Telling the commissioner, no, she tells Mrs. Kraft that we will do our best to give you the highest authority. And then fade to black. Now we go to the opening credits and check this out. Michelle Heard plays Lieutenant Jeffrey. No, no, excuse me, Detective Jeffries. She's in the cast. Now there's a little bit, a little issue with that with the intro because um after Dean Winters left on the previous episode. They promoted uh, Michelle Hurd to um, in the repertory cast member instead of a recurring character. I mean, she was promoted from recurring character, recurring character to the main cast, starting with the 14th episode. But I have a little issue with the opening credits. See, in the in the original NBC version, though, they um, added uh, Michelle Hurd to the cast in the opening credits in the 14th episode. But on USA and syndication, though, they didn't add her until episode 18. They used um, the intro from episodes 1 to 13, just four members. But they didn't put, but they didn't put Michelle Heard in picture in there until episode 18. And that's in the USA version or the syndicated version. Well, maybe it's, um, they probably, um, the, maybe the folks at SCU, they decide to put the, um, these episodes on HD. I mean, they put the early season episodes in HD. Because um, the one I have, though, I have it in a 4.3 format. Because I got the first season DVD of SVU. And it, it was in its original format, like 4.3, something like that. But um, the one that's on um, USA or syndication, though, they put the HD version of it though, and then they was, and um, they had a little, like a little error going on right here about that though. So I don't know what's up with HD shit. I mean, I mean, I like the original no masters, not the HD ones where they 
paying like a couple of errors and stuff like that though so i mean i don't even like that shit though so it's just an error ever error it's like you're in the baseball game and then all of a sudden guy tries to make the ball infield outfield and then the guy catches the ball and he throws it to not to the other players or stuff like that or it's thrown in the field by accident or dropping the ball that's like an error stuff like that though it's like it's like missing a ball when you're playing baseball and like playing the outfield and all that stuff Alright, so after the opening credits, though, we in the squad room, and Kraken comes back from Comstat, and um, Detective Jeffries asks Kraken, how's Comstat? And Kraken was like, <laughs> so, um, so what he wants to do, he gives him the paperwork and all the stuff to work on these little three cases, and he wants to leave out these three women that are raped, though. Alright, so, um, Craig wants the unit to tr- track down the rapist before the statute of limitations expires on all these rapes. And then she shows them the pictures of these three women that are raped. And they only got like four days. I mean, Victoria has like one day left. And the other lady, she got like three days left. And the third lady got four days left. So... Where did they Craig first Craig wants um the the gang to investigate these rapes and all this stuff like that though. So Detective Jeffrey say that these all these cases are from nineteen ninety five and Craig was like that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because these he tells them that um these women need justice for this unknown rapist and Craig calls the rapist John Doe one twenty one or something like that. Because they don't have a description of the rapist. I mean, he broke in into people's windows with a, some stocking cap or a mask. And takes his strips his clothes off, goes into the woman's bed and breaks them, and then it sprays mace on them and dashes. No. And then, and then Munch says that he's a thoughtful rapist. And uh, Craig mentions that um, Perp had long hair and he's skinny. That he be uh, that all change. And Munch was like, right now he's a have a lard with a bald head. Well, we don't know anything about that, though. I mean, people change their appearance for five years. I don't know what it is like that. So, Graham puts three the pictures of three women on the above, but on the billboard or a chalkboard or on the board, and then they have to track down the rapist before the statute of limitations expires. If they don't do that, they don't do if they don't do that by the time time by the statute of limitations expires though, the guy will get away with three rapes. Well yeah, good luck buddy. Alright, so um right now we go the um, we're at the um, Benson and Sailor though, they talk to Lois, another rape victim in her apartment. So she says she was so scared, stuff like that though, and then business and Sable tells her that they're gonna reopen the case and all that stuff. Oh yeah, her name is Lois, so and she's like um brunette with of um girl though. I mean she was like scared, worried that the guy would be surfing stuff like that though. So meanwhile 
Cragen talks with the ADA, her name is Kathleen, and he wants to ask a judge to pursue a warrant, right? So we're in the courthouse right now, and Cragen's talking to this ADA, ADA named Kathleen. Now, the actress that's playing Kathleen, that's um, Jenna Stern. And she will be. She will later be recurring her role as Judge Barf on SBU, and then she's going to be turned to a darker role as the the defense attorney Barf, starting with season twenty one. But I mean, this Jenna Stern. I mean, she's a beautiful lady with long red hair and stuff like that. Although she's white, I ain't gonna say that, that like that though. I like a woman with long hair, so. So in the Jenna Stern, she's gonna be doing like this is her first appearance on SVU. And she's playing a different character. She's not playing Judge Barf or anything like that though. She's playing um uh, a different ADA though, with a different name. And then Craig is asking her to talk to a judge to pursue a warrant for this um guy named John Doe 121 or something like that though. And Kathleen tells Cragen that it's going to be hard. It's going to be some problems and stuff like that, though. So, Cragen was like, you want the guy to get away? Hmm. All right, so, okay, so meanwhile, though Munch and Jeffrey talk to another victim, Jennifer, at her job. So, um, she's, and then Jennifer tells Munch and Jeffries that, she has a she got a lot of support with the people and then she was in a dark place and all that stuff like depression and stuff like that. A dark place. What's she talking about? She's trying to commit suicide or some shit like that though. And then and she and then she felt all the love support after her rape and stuff like that though. And Munch tells her that they're gonna open her case. And Jeff was like, Oh and it and Munch tells her that uh, the guy raped two other women and all that stuff. So uh, so I mean, so we gotta see how how that find out. So meanwhile, we're back at the courthouse. We're back at the courthouse, and Cragen and uh, ADA Kathleen they talk to a judge to issue a warrant, stuff like that, though. And the judge has doubts, you know. I mean, I don't know if he's gonna get it. Like, um, it'll be a. I don't know what he's gonna do with his case. He you know, fill out an application or whatever like that. So, but he he tells them that he'll probably make his decision at the end of the day and stuff like that, though. Now, that judge, though, I mean, he appeared on SVU multiple times as a judge. I mean, I forgot the actor's name, but he's been on um, he's been on the SVU in the early seasons playing a judge. And he looked like um, some guy. He like a thick glasses and a big-ass mustache. Kind of remind me of um, Joel Siegel from ABC. No, no, no. Gene Shalit of the Today Show. It's like Gene Shalit, a bald-headed Gene Shalit and stuff like that, though. And to those who don't know who Gene Shalit is, he's like a movie critic for Today Show back in the days. And he passed away a long time ago. And I mean, Gene Shalit was there in today's like the early 80s, something like that, though. So, enough about that with that Gene Shalit like looking like and stuff like that, though. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Now, meanwhile, though, we, Bess and Slaver, are in um, Mrs. Kratz's office. And, um,. And then she and then Mrs. Kraft tells Bess and Sabler that uh, she was 
pissed off that um, the detectives that were working on her case five years ago. I mean, she didn't appreciate the way they worked and all that stuff, though. And Benson and Stabler tells them that they did their best, and Mrs. Kraft is like, I disagree. Man, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, she she tells me she was frustrated with the old um, detectives who were working who were assigned to her case five years ago because they wasn't doing any hard work and stuff like that. Best um, then Stable was like they tried their best, and Mrs. Craft like I disagree. Can you see how how cold she is though? And then it says she's instead she hired a private investigator and all that stuff though. I mean, I mean, this woman don't got no patience and stuff like that, though. I mean, what the hell are you wrong with this lady, Mrs. Kraft, though? I mean, she got no patience. I mean, come on, y'all. And, um, and then, um, he, she also tells them that she, she hired a private investigator, and then she noticed that, um, the security thing was faulty, and she says that that's another issue gotta deal with and all this stuff, though. Uh, as another matter, stuff like that, because she told him that the security camera was deficient and stuff like that. But um, she also mentions about a man in the bike at, after an attack. She she tells him that um, an a former tenant, the former tenant, a former neighbor of, of hers, for a former you know a former tenant of a place where she used to live at. He, he tells her that he sees a guy in a bike speeding away in after the attack, and Bessus was like, "We need to talk to him." And Mrs. Kraft says, "You should." Ooh, he saw how, how cold she sounds. Oh, I mean, this girl, this lady, Mrs. Kraft is like a damn bitch. I mean, she wanted justice real bad, though. I mean. And I don't know. She's pissed off. I mean, she she wasn't even support. She wasn't even. She got. She gave no respect to the cops who were assigned to the case. I mean, she just dissed them, saying that it wasn't doing any hard work enough. And then you get so frustrated for that. I mean, come on. She takes everything personally and shit like that, though. Come on. And you want to hire a private investigator, and then all of a sudden you want to deal with. But the clue is that um, she messes about a guy in a bike. So they go, you best the saver, go talk to this neighbor, right? And, um, and I mean, for, for, right, best the saver, talk to this, um, the former tenant, former tenant of Mrs. Crafts, and a former neighbor, her former neighbor, and he, he tells him that, um, he witnessed a guy in a bike. He and he was and he sees him. He was swerving and then he swelled down. And then all, when all of a sudden he and he tells him when he came to give help, though he got back up and just sped off. And um, he also tells him that he was uh, had like a green bike. He had a green helmet on and he had a jumpsuit. And then the message saver was like. So, um, what did it say? She was like, I don't know. It, it, it was a no, no. He had no best in the stable asking that the guy in, um, in his jumpsuit had a uniform on. He was like, I don't know. It's been five years. Now, I recognize that actor before. I mean, I seen him on TV, something like that, though. I mean, I remember this actor. I forgot his name, but I seen him on the train several years ago. I mean, the A train, something like that, though, because. I was uh, coming from a house going downtown. 
he got on the train at um, 185th or 75th, and he was sitting right across from me. And I look at his face. I mean, he had gray hair. I mean, back in uh, back in 2000, uh, his hair wasn't fully gray yet, but I recognized his face, though. And he was sitting across me. And I was going to go say hi to him, and I was going to tell him that I've seen you on TV before, but I never had a chance. I mean, guy was looking at me. He wasn't even smiling, and then he was crossing his hands, something like that. And I have a feeling that maybe something was up with him, but I just left that alone. But I'm sure I've seen this happen before. I, I, he, he, I see he was on um, SVU. He played the former neighbor of hers and stuff like that, though. Anyway, I don't know his name. So anyway, next day in the courtroom, and the judge comes out, and um, no, 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 that was not the next day. That was like the end of the day. The judge comes out. He tells him that he refuses the application, and the case will be appealed. And that pisses Victoria Kraft off, and she storms out of the courtroom. And then Craig catches up to her, and um, Mrs. Kraft just, just starts lashing out at Craig and blaming him for, for, for stuff like that. And then she just went off on Craig and saying, telling himself, sorry, yeah, sorry, Vicky, you know, we can't do nothing about it, stuff like, stuff like that, though. And then... She tells Craig to thank him for making him the second worst day of her life. And she was like, you know how the first one is. I mean, she cannot, she, her attacker cannot see justice. And, and make it worse of all, her case was expired. Now, she is pissed, mad, and stuff like that, though, yo. And she blaming Craig and all this and stuff like that, though. I mean, it's not Craig's fault. I mean, he just got the case at the last minute, though. And then, you know, and then she just, um, Mrs. Kraft starts blaming him for all the mess up. And then, and, and then, and then she tells him she ruined her second, ruined her day. And this is the second time he ruined her life and all that stuff. I mean, whatever. So that's the end of Act 1. Now, let's go to Act 2. Anyway, Kringen's back in, we're, we're back in the squad room, and then he, he tells the staff that um, Biggie Kraft's case has been expired. Her her attack will not see justice for now, so he tells the gang to focus on the other two victims, see if they can bring it to justice. Because they got like maybe a few three few days left and all that stuff though. So um, now um, Craig uh, now Saber uh, Craig wants the unit to focus on the other two victims, while Saber says they're gonna speak with the the, the former detectives assigned to her case. So, um, Craig had asked Munch, Munch, is that okay with you? And Munch was like, yeah, sure. And I mean, we go, we go for the SVU alumni who sit on these seats. Where are they now? Speaking of where are they now, I remember, um, back in, uh, 2000 or 1999 or 2000, that VH1 had a show called Where Are They Now? It's talking about the celebrities and, uh, pop stars in their heyday and what they're doing after their fame stuff like that and some of them you know they go to the TV or acting and 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 all that stuff I mean they probably retired or probably do something I mean still making or still making music 
So I mean, it was like um short lived short lived series called Where Are They Now, something like that. The VH1. I mean, I mean back. I remember back in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands, VH1 had a lot of good shows back then. Besides music videos, they had um behind the music. That was a good. That was a good. That was a top show back in the two thousand, and they got like um. There was another one. They had eight track flashback, and I love the eighties. And then um, that was like um, that was all before when um, BH one started going downhill with this celebrity bullshit. You know, like they got these stars and these reality shows and all that stuff, though. So BH one, I remember back in two thousand, I was watching V. I was watching BH one's behind the music religiously every week and he talking about uh pop stars and their struggles with drugs and their humble beginnings and all that stuff though and so it was, it was an entertaining show i mean and it was on for a few years oh yeah by the way i forgot i also watched each hollywood story too back in 2000 i mean they had some good shows back. E had some good shows back then, like E True Hollywood Story and Behind the Music and all that stuff, though. But VH1 had like a short segment called Where Are They Now? And then um, they should go to show you what these um, pop stars are doing and stuff like that, though. And I remember MTV had a familiar show called I Forgot What It Was. Um, they had like a Where Are They Now segment, but anyway. Anyway, now well, we go to the, the 31st precinct and, um, and uh, you know, Munch and Jeffries, so they talked to a former detective who just who was assigned to Victoria Craft's case. And she tells him that Victoria is like a piece of work or something like that, though. So, um, and then she was, she, and she, and then she, she tells the detectives that she was suing her because we they didn't do a legway or something like that though. I mean they did the best they could, but I mean Miss they tell Mrs. Kraft is like an uppity bitch and all that stuff and they take everything personal. I mean like a piece of work or whatever. I'm like anyway, so and then the detectives tell her that um the John Doe one twenty one is responsible for the two other rates. And the detectives was like, Oh yeah, um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Meanwhile, Benson and Savior talked to a former cop assigned to like Jennifer's case and um tell us that um I mean um they did the best he could and then he tells him that his partner was a great gal and the other detective that like, he was like a jerk and all that stuff. I mean he tells him that that the former detective um it run, now runs a cop bar somewhere out there in Queens and stuff like that though. And he tells the detectives that he quit the SVU because um he made some he, he was assigned to a case that was so gruesome and then he just he was like no one sees what I can see and stuff like that. So he decided to quit the quit the being a cop and do something else and all that stuff though. So later on, Best and Save Laura at a bar. They talk to the ex cop who owns a bar, and he says that um, he was just being a jerk because um, he tells them that um, women who say they're raped and make are making this up, and they say it's like a sexual fantasy and all that stuff. And then she tells them that the woman had sex with a man one night stand with a man, and then she after the morning after regrets and some like bullshit like that though. And the job was being the jerk of the I mean, come on, I mean, 
after what happened was that um, he got himself in trouble, and then them people, people higher ups, gave him a choice: just to be, just to retire right now, or get fired, whatever, like that. Though, because in other words, though, he was just like a few years of getting his uh, retirement money, because he's been in a force like well, less than less than twenty years. But they forced him to retire and all that stuff because he got into some trouble, stuff like that, though. So, um, and um, he tells the detectives that rape is nothing but a fantasy, a woman made up some bullshit like that, though. And um, they tell him that the same guy is responsible for two other rapes. And the cop was like, let me buy you a drink. Manson was mad and she storms off. Okay, so the next day, we're in the courtroom, and we got another judge. He comes in for Lois or Lois's case, and then he decides to, he denies the application of Lois's case, making an appeal, cause forcing Lois to cry and weep, and Benson is putting her arms around her. Now, that judge in that scene, you know, I mean, I mean, I forgot the actor's name, but he's a black actor, and then this is his first appearance on SVU as a judge, and then he was there in um, season one, episode night. He was in the season one, episode nineteen. In I think it was um no 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 no. He was in this episode called um, Nocturne that was in season one, episode twenty one, and then he was there again in on um SVU's second season two, episode seven called um Asunder, and. That judge got like a baritone voice. So, I mean, he sounds like an operation and all that stuff, though. He's like, answer the tone of UV, this part, or answer the question, I'll put you in the contempt. And something like that, though. But he ain't talking no girl, he's talking no baritone and all that shit like that, so. And, um, I forgot the actor's name, but he was there. He did be on SVU for a short time in the early seasons. So, we're at the end of Act 2, we're at Act 3. And um, we open the scene. Act three is uh, Lois is talking to Benson and Stabler, telling them that she was devastated when after Brandon Lee died while filming The Crow. That was back in 1993, and she tells him that she's been watching the movie over and over. I mean, The Crow, right? It was like um the final film for after Brandon Lee who's also the son of Bruce Lee. And there's a theory that's saying that uh, Brandon was killed on the set of um, The Crow back in 1993. We, and they, they say it was the, the, the gun was shooting blanks. But how can you find, how can you a gun shoot blanks? I mean, shooting, blank, shooting blanks from a gun don't make you kill somebody, something like that, though. Or here's a conspiracy theory. Maybe someone put a real bullet in, bullet in that gun and killed Brandon Lee. Um, I don't know. It's kind of conspiracy theory. I don't know why, but I don't know why they did that stuff like that. So it's like um, yeah. So it's like um, it's a mystery to me. I mean, uh, the way his son died, his father died. The uh, same thing. He died mysterious. That uh, Bruce Lee died mysteriously after the movie Enter the Dragon was released. So I don't know. They probably killed him too because um he was going against Hollywood and something like that though and oh yeah by the way there was some little controversy because 
Bruce Lee wanted to play himself or had to be in a just he wanted to start himself in the TV show called Kung Fu, but they gave it to a white dude who looks a little Chinese. I mean, that was like a slap in the face, though. I mean, they put a white dude, a white actor playing an Asian man, and they say he has all this Asian looks and stuff like that. I mean, that's bullshit, though. Anyway, back to the scene where um, Lois is talking to the detectives about, and she tells him that um, the, the John Doe 121 was just came in, starts talking to her, and the detectives realize that he's been eavesdropping. And they also told her that he was stalking her and stuff like that because he following, like following her around and stuff like that, though. And they and he tells her that uh, he pretended to be friendly and um, he tells her that he's seen her crawl a lot of times or whatever. I mean, that's like a manipulation tactic and stuff like that, though. And then when Lois tells him that she wanted to talk about her rape and stuff like that, and they told her to go see a shrink and all that stuff, though. <laughs> and I don't know. So, and then Lois messages about the man in the bike. Oh, there's a piece of cool. She remembers that the rapist had a green bike, and then it was a man in the green bike. So earlier though, they um, the neighbor tells him that um, he saw a guy speed away, wearing with a green bike and a green helmet and a jumpsuit, and the Texas asked was in uniform. So, the neighbor mentioned the green bike, right? And then Lois mentioned the green bike. So, the detectives realized that they're dealing with a bike messenger, right? Because he had like a a helmet and a, some jumpsuit uniform and a green bike. So, we go to this guy's office, though. And, um, and then, um, and the man, he knows Vicky. And he and then he he tells he mentioned something about a messenger service that went out of business, and it's called um, Green Machine and stuff like that though. That's what he tell him though. And Messer um, Saver saying that the, the company went out of business, but the employees don't f- fall off the face of the earth. And then the guy was like, um, "You do you? You guys do your job, something like that." I tried. So. It turns out that, you know, we're trying, they're dealing with a bike messenger, right? So, we, they don't know who this guy is, but this all comes together. The guy had a uniform on, a helmet, and a green bike, and there was a company called Green Machine and stuff like that. So, we're back at the squad room, and Munch was like... That you know, the, the guy who's ra- do you know the guy who was raping this woman is a bike messenger? And, you know, they talk about the perf and all that stuff and uh, if he did, how he does his thing, trying to be friendly to the woman, breaks into the windows and breaks them. And, you know, it turns out that the guy be stalking these women for months and following them up and then they start a conversation. And next thing you know, that he comes in and rapes the woman, makes him get away. I mean, he was playing this all along. Jeffries comes in the squad room and tells him that she tracked down the guy who owned the messenger service, right? And she tells him that he's now running a laundromat. So much and Jeffries go to this place called Clean Machine, which is a laundromat, and they talk to the owner there and he tells him that um he, he tells him that his um 
he, he tells him that um um that, that, that he was good doing messenger work and stuff like that though. So um and then he tells and then the detectives ask him why he went out of business. He tells him that he forgot to pay the taxes. And he tells him that one of his employees got hurt in an accident and um, they didn't have the right insurance. He tells him that um, they were good. His boys were good on their job, but they, he, they, he didn't do, they didn't do the good paperwork and all that stuff. So the owner hands the detectives the records and all that stuff, though. And, he, and then, then this guy right here, the owner, you know, he go around bending over. You see his big, ass, big, large ass and stuff like that. I mean, oh, oh, luckily, you, know, you don't see a crack of his ass. I don't know. He looked like an Artie Lange guy. He looked like Artie Lange from Mad, Lange from Mad TV, something like that, though. So we're back in the squad room, and I believe she shows that the perp went to had work had the receipts to the place that Jennifer works, and then and then um, Jeffries was like, though we have to refresh her memory. So next scene, we have our investors say that they talked to Jennifer, and. Um, and then they, they tell her that um, the receipts came when you came to, went to your company four times, and she tell him that um, he tells him that all these receipts go to like um, Green Machine or Eastern Services. And she go to any receipts or Eastern Services and messages. She messages about messenger service, and she, she says that she remembers them. And they want to ask him who who one of the messages name the messages are, and she was like, I'd rather not say. And then um, she don't want to ask questions. I mean, she felt a little bit uncomfortable when the cashier was asking questions because they want to find out who, where they want to figure out who the messenger's name is, and she refuses to talk. And then she leads them to her office and tells them that sometimes that people have changed for five years, and five years people change, and they understand that. But and then and then they tell her if if you wanted. Um, if you don't want to give a name, we want to, they want her to testify, give her the name. She refuses, so. And then they was like, if you don't want to help, though, maybe you could talk to um, these people. I mean, if you, I mean, you come, in, come up and testify, you could be a witness or whatever like that, though. And then the problem is that um, she don't want to, she don't want to, she don't want to do that though. I mean, that she tells him that the guy is sick. He raped a couple of women and he needs to be stopped. And she was like, what if she, he, he, what if he, he isn't? And now the detectives discover that Jennifer knew her rapist, but she refuses to turn him in. And so um, Jennifer, they bring Jennifer in interrogation and Jeffrey tells him that she's a member of the Quakers, and she's uh, she, uh, she is unwilling to talk. I mean, she don't want to give that guy up because if she gives it up, though, that'll be like a betray a betrayal to him. Because you know what happened? She prayed when she she tells the detectives back. Let's go back to the scene where she, in her office. She tells the detectives that she ran into her, her rapist recently. And then they had a conversation, and they prayed together. And Benson was like, "You pray with your rapist," and um, she and then she ran to a rapist, and then he begged for forgiveness, and she forgave him, and then she didn't want to turn him in, end, though. So Benson and Sable didn't even like that, though. She's telling that turning him in will be a betrayal.
So Jennifer is in interrogation. She tells him that she's a Quaker, and uh, she don't want to. She don't want to give the guy's name though. They kept asking her what's her name, and she didn't want to do it. I mean, she's unwilling to talk about that rapist. So, um, Benson suggested that she should bring the other victims in to have a talk with her. So, the next day, the two other victims confront Jennifer that she's aid, harboring a rapist or aiding and abetting a rapist or something like that, though. And, um, and next thing you know, is Lois snaps, and then she was like, Who is he? Give him his name, you stupid bitch! And then Jefferson was like, you know, I hope you, uh, I pray for you and all the stuff and forgiveness. And, she, and Joe was like, shut up, you freak! And Lois, I mean, Lois just broke down emotionally. I mean, that was good, though. And Jennifer is pissed also. I mean, yeah, over a lot of stuff like that, though. So we're in Craig's office, though. I mean, Benson and, and Saver tried everything to have the woman... To give 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 up the guy's name, but Craig decides that she should go to court for that though. So them legal stuff like that though. So they want Craig wants Jennifer to testify on the guy and give the guy give him up give him give him up the guy's name. So we're in a courthouse. So Mrs. Jennifer refuses to give the person's name in court, and then she gets locked up. And Bessie was like, no, and I'm not okay. We sent a victim to a lockup. No, I'm not okay. So at the end of Act 3, and the beginning of Act 4, Commissioner confronts Cragen about the victim being locked up. And um, he was like, Cragen was like, we did our best, though. And then he, Cragen, uh, no, no, Commissioner goes after Cragen, and, and, and he goes, grows Cragen for his, um, some bullshit, something like that, though. And then... Craig was like, though, I wasted three days of all this political BS and stuff like that, and they just had like a little bit of an argument and stuff like that. And Craig tells the commissioner that, yeah, get out of my office. And if we don't find John Doe, John Doe, by, John Doe 121 by midnight tonight, we'll never will. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's pissed off because the commissioner made him waste his time, like waste three days over some political bullshit, some election year, something like that. I mean, whatever, though. Now we're at the church where um, Jennifer is a member, and they talk to a guy there. I don't, I don't remember his name. And then uh, the detectives they t- they want to tell the guy that they need a list of names because they want to bring the perfect justice. And um, the guy was like, "I'm not gonna let you do that, though." And then they threaten him with a warrant, and he tells them that, um, "Go ahead, get your warrant. When you come back later, though, I won't be alone." So, and Benson and Sabler come back to the church later on with Kraft and Cragen, and they make their move to get the list. And then you got some cops there, they come in, and then he sees the guy and the other members of the church praying and stuff like that. The guy they talked to earlier, they, they talked to earlier, stands up and tells him, turn back and leave, or you'll play with us. They ignore him, then they go to the office, and then Benson comes in and orders the lady to give up the list of names. And she refused to do that, though. But however, though, the lady gives in and gives the list to Benson, and Benson walks off. Now we're back at the squad room. Um, Cragen tells um, says the gang that they got six hours to find the perp before the statute of limitations expires. Okay? So, um, 
they look they um they had to look for messengers with the church membership. I mean they narrowed it down to like 30, 36 messengers and stuff like that though. So they wanted to look for messengers with the church membership. So they had to go through the files and go through the names and through the names in alphabetical order. And guess what? They found a break in the case. They find a guy, a suspect named Harvey Dennis. Oh, and they, they did a background check on Harvey Dennis. And, and they discovered that he was arrested for attempted burglary. And Vessels was like, though, he was going for rate number four. He got caught. When he did his time. So they say that he did his time. He spent a, he spent a year in jail. But he was, he was raped in prison. So... However, though, they, look, they, Sable says that they found the address where Harvey Dennis is. So, in the last scene, though, they head down to this hotel or motel where Harvey lives. So, and this scene is funny and stuff like that, though. They was, they, they, it's going it's to be like a after fight, something like that. So, Bess and Sable come in, and then, he, and then they notice that the guy was right under their noses the whole time. So, it was like a waste. So, they go in the hotel, and they go to the um, front desk. They find Harvey Dennis in behind the cage. They say, "Are you are you looking for Harvey Dennis?" And Harvey's like, "That's me." And then Benson Sable put the guns out, saying, "Hands up, hands up, move slowly." And then Harvey 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 puts his hands on, saying, "Whoa, don't shoot! I'm gonna buzz you in." So he buzzes them in, and when Sable tried to attempt, Benson Sable attempt to come in, they discovered that the guy is in a wheelchair. <laughs> that shit was funny, and then I was come back. They 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 thought that he was gonna go in, and and, and they thought that he thought that the perp was getting ready to kill him and stuff like that. But it turns out that the guy that that the like perp was confined in a damn wheelchair. <laughs> and then they thought that the perp was gonna be combative, but nah, he surrendered. I mean, how can he? How can you be competitive when he's in a wheelchair? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I mean that dude—he didn't resist arrest. He didn't—he didn't go for a fight though. I mean, he just surrendered. So Ben and the Sabler carry him to the car. I mean, they take him to the car, and then Ben Sabler picks him up to uh, put him in the car while they pick up a wheelchair. And Ben Sabler was like, "What happened to you?" He tells him that he got into an accident he, with his truck. He sideswiped and fell down and broke his spine or whatever. And then Saber gave him his rights. And Benson was just like standing there, pausing, like, you got the right to limit a bit. And then, and then, episode ends there, Executive Future Dick Wolf. It was funny. And at first, we thought that the guy the guy was gonna fight the, the cops, but nah. But the twist is that the guy, the perp, is in a wheelchair. Oh my goodness. That's a twist, I mean, but that was funny and stuff like that, though. Oh yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention, you know, the scene where the, the best in the stable was talking to a, a, a neighbor. That was filmed right on uh, West 23rd Street between 9th and 10th Avenues, I believe, though. Because I used to do messenger work back then, and, and I forgot to mention about that. So, And I want to say that's the end of the, epi- that's the, end of the episode. You know, um, I went to um, Sepultis last week. Um, I haven't been there for a while, you know. I mean, 
I haven't been there before the pandemic or something like that, though. And um, they changed their rules a bit like that because they're fearing about uh, COVID-19 and all that bullshit. So I came in. I wanted to give me like a, a chicken burrito bowl, right? And um, so I look at the menu and they have um, like a cauliflower as a substitute for rice. Even though it costs a little bit expensive and all that stuff, so I wanted to get—I wanted to get me a chicken burrito bowl with um, some brown rice. Well, when I found out that they got—they had uh, cauliflower as a substitute for rice, so instead, though, I ordered a chicken burrito bowl with um, the cauliflower. Well, it's like a more healthier option than the rice because it got all that starch. So, and then when I went up to the cashier, though, they wanted me to take my temperature. Kidding me? I mean, I mean, come on! They got, they got this. They're so fearful of that COVID nineteen procedure. I mean, they want you to have your temperature checked before you eat something like that. So, the guy checked my temperature. It was ninety six degrees, and then they made they they wanted me to fill out this little form or something like that, and I put my personal information, like my name, my number, and stuff like that. And why you need my name and number for? I mean, my personal information, though. I mean. Cause they and then they say it's a procedure or whatever. So I was thinking, it's certainly not to come back to Chipotle. So I mean, cause they want to follow that COVID nineteen protocol kind of thing, like temperature check and stuff like that. I mean, if you if they find out you're sick though, you don't want to come or something like that though. I mean, they just being sensitive. But I was just thinking that um, I don't know if I want to go to Chipotle's again after my recent uh, thing because they want me to te- check my temperature make sure that I have COVID or not though I mean I wouldn't even trust your parties nowadays though even though I had the chicken burrito bowl it was supposed to be for $9,000 change but it turned out to be 11000 change and all stuff I mean because I got the cauliflower instead of the rice but it's like when you try to come in it's like um You try to come in, it's like, um, checking your temperature. I figure that that's, I don't know, I'm not going to say it's personal, but I mean, what, is it necessary? Well, I mean, I understand you got, they got to follow COVID-19 protocols and all that stuff, so I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to consider going to Spotis again. I mean, I did a promo for Spotis and stuff like that, you know what I mean, but... Anyway, I mean, I don't know if I want to go back there again because maybe I don't even trust them. I mean, I don't want my temperature to be checked and other stuff like that, though. I mean, I'm okay right now, though. Hmm. Never know. So, anyway, before I go, I want to give a shout out to Michelle. You know, she's a tenant at the building where I work at. So, and then she told me that she ran to a couple of cast members of Lord or SVU. And um, she told me that um, the guy who played Captain Craig and Dan Florek, she tells me that he's a creepy dude. Well, I want to find I want to hear more about her. So I didn't mention her name on my last show on last week, but I want to give a shout out to Michelle, even though she used to be a DJ and uh, she's a beautiful lady. But I mean, she's married, but I got to watch it, though. I got to leave that alone. I know better though, but I gotta admit, I like voluptuous women. I like thick women. And I wanna appreciate you ladies listening in to my podcast. 
because um, I checked the analytics, so keep on listening, right? So I'm going to give a shout-out to Michelle. I wish she could be on my show and just help me support my show, you know, all right? I'm, I'm talking about Michelle. I'm not talking about the Olsen twins on Full House, all right? So um, I just want to say this is Mr. B.D. Rose, and uh, thank you for listening to Twisted the SVU Podcast. New episodes come on every Monday, all right? Our subject to change, so I'm out of here. I'm out.